0: But what I have is a list of polarizing celebrity figures, and I thought that it might be fun. But do you think that these people would be in hell or in heaven in your comic book?
1: I feel like you're just trying to get me canceled.
0: Could you just kind of maybe kick things off and explain the influence that your grandmother and Sonic the Hedgehog have played in your comic book career?
1: I love that you know that.
0: Well, hello, comic book friends, and please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Jordan Clays, and I, of course, am the host of Comic Converse. And with me here today is the self-styled comic book maven, Nicole D'Andrea. And Nicole is a freelance comic writer and creator whom you may recognize from such titles as Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir, Miraculous Adventures, and Ruined Nation. True to her title, Nicole also works as a comic book editor, and her imprint can be found on countless titles across Action Lab, Scout, and Curious Perspective Comics. As if that weren't enough already, Nicole recently managed to turn a humble Kickstarter campaign into a critically acclaimed ongoing series currently being published through Scout Comics, and that's, of course, Road Trip to Hell, which is why we are here today. So, Nicole, welcome.
1: Thank you for that lovely introduction. That's way better than I could have introduced myself. So I appreciate it. Oh,
0: of course. (laughs) Oh, of course. By all means, like I said, we can't wait to dive in and get started in speaking with you today. Now, before we do dive in, because we, of course, have a lot to talk about, I just wanted to kind of break the ice because as far as I understand, you're uh, coming to us today from Central Jersey. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Okay. So I'm from London, Ontario, Canada. I would probably say that Canada and, and New Jersey are certainly kind of where I'm from, Canada, are probably two of the most stereotypically portrayed places on Earth. <laughs> so just right off the hop here, because, you know, my understanding of New Jersey, I've never been. I'm going off of old Sopranos episodes, Jersey Shore and, and Real Housewives <laughs> here. So, so what am I getting wrong? And what do you see constantly in the media about New Jersey that just irks you whenever you kind of come across it? <laughs>
1: I wish I could say it irks me, but honestly, I just enjoy it at this point. Uh, It's so funny you say that, too, because I I watch Let's Players, and there's this one guy who persistently makes New Jersey jokes, just bashing New Jersey, and I just, I enjoy it at this point. You have to. You have to. Granted, I still want to move out of New Jersey. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It's not perfect by any means, but uh, I'd say it's a little overemphasized how terrible it is, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) well hey all i can say is is i can relate and where i'm from we're not all lumberjacks and fur traders either so i can relate um to the kind of self-love self-loathing of the hometown now um again what brings us here today of course um is is road trip to hell and you know i thought i would kind of just before you know I, don't, I know that you know creators typically don't like doing their own elevator pitches, so I thought if it was okay with you, I would just kind of dive in with one of my own here. So uh, most of us, I think, have experienced a road trip from hell, um, you know, at least once or, or twice in our lives, but but very rarely do we ever embark on an actual road trip to hell. You know, the winding, twisting road to damnation is normally reserved for humanity's worst and most wicked, save for, of course, one Francis Rhodes, the son of Satan. Now, after learning that his dearly departed dad was actually the devil incarnate, Francis embarks on a heroic journey to claim his rightful seat as the new king of the damned. Now, along the way, he'll have to contend with some of hell's worst minions, all of whom are looking to bring about a violent and bloody end to his life and usurp the throne of Lucifer for themselves. So how did I do there? Not not bad, not, not good kind of in between
1: i'd say it's a pretty great sell
0: (laughs) all right all right well like i said i did one for katana collins when we spoke so i figured i'd try my hand out uh with you as well but road trip to hell so like i mentioned in the little preamble there you know this began obviously as a kickstarter campaign so how did you end up taking this from kind of concept to kickstarter to now an ongoing series
1: well, it's funny how the scripting for it originally started cuz I had had the idea of it for a while. I've always really liked the whole debate of nature versus nurture, but uh going through like psych classes in high school, it kind of seemed like that conversation was starting to become a bit boring for people. Like everybody seemed to be saying, "Oh, obviously it's nurture," or maybe there's a little nature, but it's mostly nurture, and people weren't really having those conversations too much. And then I remember moving into college and that whole nature versus nurture debate got a little bit more in depth and there were a lot more layers to it than I think people realized. And it just kind of kept spawning from there. I had had this idea for a while of what if you have this guy who's kind of your typical guy who could maybe has a lot of bad breaks in life, but is still to his core Potentially, a very good person or a very evil person kind of depends um finding out that you know his biological father is literally the devil and I just had that idea in my head for the longest time, and I didn't consider writing it until I was actually in an argument with my roommate. It was a fun argument, but um we had watched the Rosemary's Baby mini series because that's apparently a thing that they decided to do um Yes. And um, it was, it was odd. Um, But so uh, we had that argument at, uh, in it about whether or not the baby would be evil or not. Like, yeah, I guess, kind of spoilers for a very old story at this point. But uh, <laughs> the, the baby is like the devil's child. So my roommate was immediately sure that it was, you know, a very like a very negative ending and that it was implying that the kid was going to become like the antichrist or something like that. And I was like, well, you're writing the kid off just because his dad's the devil. And we like went on about this for way too long. And I decided, okay, I want to write my, I want to write my series now because this is this argument. I, I didn't think it would be an argument. So I was like, yeah, I want to write this now. Um, And so I started scripting it. And I lucked out with one of my college classes because it was a a writing capstone. So I got to basically make it my assignment for that course was to write the scripts for the the comic book. So that's pretty cool. So I was able to write the first couple issues and basically get a classroom worth of feedback on them. And by the time I graduated, they were still, you know, in script form, but. Since I was, I ended up going into interning at a comic book publisher and, you know, meeting these contacts and some wonderful artists that down the line, I found the artist for it, the colorist, the letterer, and all the pieces were coming together. And at that point, I had seen so many projects on Kickstarter that it really felt like a real possibility that if I went the Kickstarter route first, I would see if there was really an audience for my little brainchild that was coming together. And thankfully, there was. Thankfully, there was. I was able to kickstart each of the first three issues had their own Kickstarter. So I did three Kickstarters for it that I like to think very well. Granted, I've seen some people who have like amazing outputs on Kickstarter, but I'm, you know, I'm very proud of, you know, the people have supported the book through Kickstarter. And it was it was a real journey, but it was very much worth it.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, as you should be, it must be so incredible to see something that you've put so much time and effort in over the years really, really kind of come to life in such an exciting way. And I really like what you mentioned there as well about how you're kind of tackling the nature versus uh, nurture argument um, through kind of this central character. And it is really like you're right. On the one hand, you would think that the son of the devil is kind of. Like your story's already been written. There's only one possible outcome that you have at the end of the day. You're going to be evil because it's just obviously it's in your nature. But again, you're kind of presented with a guy who is very, very caring, has a very, very incredibly close relationship with his sister, who's very also on the one hand willing to lay down and sacrifice everything for her. And I don't think that those are characteristics that you would find in the spawn of Satan. Certainly not Ones that I would kind of bring to mind, at least.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, he seems like an outlier. But I definitely think when you were saying kind of the elevator pitch for the story and you mentioned that it's like a heroic journey, that's the only place where I was like, well, you could argue it could go either way, because I like to think he starts out as a very caring character and you're kind of hoping through this journey that he continues on that path of like righteousness and things like that. But at the same time, you know, he has to fight with his heritage. He has to fight with a lot of horrible things happening around him. So I think it's it's definitely sort of a balancing act with him and figuring out where he wants to be on that good and evil spectrum, if anywhere at all.
0: For sure, and I think you raise a good point because even in that first issue, um, you know, without spoiling anything too much for anyone who hasn't read it yet, but there is an instance where using his gift. He very clearly sees the outcome, and it's not a good outcome for a person in his life, um, his boss, whom he may not have the fondest feelings for. And instead of intervening in a positive way, he chooses to not act. So I think it is like you're saying, you know, we're definitely even already seeing glimpses of kind of that, you know, sinister side which I'm I'm really, really anxious and, and eager to explore as we continue to kind of go down the road, uh, the road trip to hell, I suppose. Um, now, you already mentioned a bit about your uh, your creative team here, who I definitely also want to kind of give uh, give credence to, because I know that you and Monica um, McCogney met while you were editing Vamp Blade. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, I, was, I ended up editing a few books that she was doing the art for and absolutely loved it. So,
0: yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, just kind of working with her through that kind of professional vein, I think you, you know, you knew what to expect of her. You saw what she was capable of and obviously thought it would lend itself well to your kind of storytelling. I guess what I really wanted to know, what was it when in those really early stages, maybe like when you first got some of those first pages back, was there anything about her art that surprised you that you were like, oh, wow, I really wasn't expecting this and kind of made you Feel like, okay, you know, I think we've really got something here?
1: I mean, honestly, I I remember being very nervous before I got the first pages back because this was the first time I was really doing my own creator owned project and seeing, you know, my script come to life on the page. So I was very nervous because I didn't know what kind of reaction I was going to have. But it was honestly better than I could have imagined with how I'd scripted it because she did such a great job of just bringing all the characters to life. Um, I mean, there are so many things about her art that I enjoyed that came through on the page when she did the art for it. Like, I love her expressions for characters and just the, the way she's able to just suggest movement for a static image, but just make it look like it's moving. Like, she does such a wonderful job with that. And it was really interesting to see how her art kind of evolved over time, too, because I think she had more of a grittier style with the first issue. And then by the time we got to issue two, there was like there was it it took a while to get to issue two. And when we got there, she has more of this almost like anime style to it, which I've I've really grown to love because I I do really like anime. So I loved the expressiveness of it. And it almost has like a even with the first issue, there are moments where it has almost like a, a cartoony vibe to it which mm-hmm. I really liked because I while the material and the story can get dark, I really like to add like a layer of like kind of dark humor over top of it to kind of like almost like a palate cleanser and to kind of not be in that dreary atmosphere all the time. And I feel like the art really complements that and helps me get that across.
0: No, and I, I completely agree with you. I mean, if I had to kind of sum up her artwork, it, you're right. It's almost like this gorgeous ode to like saturday morning cartoons with like this anime flair to it that just makes everything pop and and i agree with you sometimes when you're reading that really heavy stuff especially kind of the darker content it can be like okay wow i need to kind of you know go lie down or take a shower after this but it's nice to kind of as you say have it presented in a way where it doesn't necessarily feel as kind of heavy on the soul for lack of a better uh expression there um Now, again, and being that this is, of course, dealing with concepts of heaven and hell, I was just wanting to maybe talk about, like, growing up in your household, did you come from a religious background? Did an abundance of faith or a lack thereof play into your kind of writing of this story in any sort of way?
1: That's an interesting question. I mean, I would say my grandmother was more faith based than most of my family, like not over the top in any way or like trying to push it onto us too much. She would, you know, want us to go to church every Sunday. And I used to go to like, um, I used to go to see, C- Oh, wow. I haven't said this word, thought of this word in a while. I went to, I used to go to CCD classes where we would learn about, you know, uh, it, learn about the Bible and, and things like that and had to memorize yeah. our prayers, which I was awful at. Uh, I still have the report cards from that. Uh, um but, uh, yeah, and you know eventually, you know, my parents weren't super religious; they were more likely to just go to church on holidays, and i'm I'm very close to them, so i I sort of ended up adapting the same thing where we'd go on holidays, and then eventually we just stopped going, so it was there's something a little bit of religious background there, but nothing nothing to an extreme level, but I've always mm-hmm. found. Different religions fascinating um, and also like I, I find it so interesting again, maybe it's just the just the the contrast you can get with anything like uh, just with nature and nurture how with the opposites in that sense that you know religion can be a really beautiful thing for some people. it can really give them like the, it can give them the motivation to get up in the morning, the motivation to be a good person. Or it could be the exact opposite and you can try to like push it on all the people around you. You could have a very like rigid sense of like what's right and wrong in the world. It's it really is up to you how you interpret religion. And it's always struck me as very interesting. So that's something that I would like to definitely like explore more through a trip to hell. And there's future arcs that I'm hoping to do. Uh, specifically ones that explore more of um, Francis's backstory as the son of the devil and kind of his relationship with religion and his life and how the people around him have used it and him. So I'm hoping Uh to explore that more in the future.
0: All right. So stuff to look forward to then for sure down the road. (laughs) And no, I just, and I just, I bring it up because I've always found the concept of hell in particular to be, an interesting one to say the very least which sounds a little weird but when you think of like a a place of eternal damnation eternal torment of which there is no hope of redemption it's just and i think sometimes especially nowadays as i've gotten older i think hell has become less of a place but almost more of like it can be almost like a state of mind i think and and the heaven and hell is of today is almost one that we create for ourselves. And I guess I kind of wanted to ask you without potentially giving anything away, what is hell for you?
1: I mean, taking it out of, so I don't spoil things. I'll take it out of the comic book book concept of it and what hell is in in the realm of road trip to hell, what hell is there? I'll take it out of that and kind of say for me, I personally have never thought, well, I shouldn't say I've never thought, but uh and I know thoughts can change over time and beliefs, but I've always had the feeling that hell most likely doesn't exist. I think it's more something we've created or or people through religion have created mostly to scare people and to kind of get them to specifically follow a set uh a set rules that they want them to follow. Just And kind of created hell as that way to keep people on the like straight and narrow, depending on, you know, who you're talking to. Um, So I I agree with you a lot where you say it's kind of become like a state of mind, almost. So rather than a physical place, it's more like a state of mind that might not be so much true in Road Trip to Hell, that might be a wait for that. But kind of going back to Road Trip to Hell, it is in a way it's going to be weighing on francis's mind what hell is because he's like he's never seen it he doesn't know what it is still even knowing that supposedly it exists might be a huge revelation for people so for him it's something that's going to weigh on his mind throughout the whole journey even though it's still in a sense just a concept and not a place
0: again i can't wait to see that explored as we continue to kind of dive deeper and deeper now, um, I mentioned this I uh, touched on this a little bit earlier on, but I, I do just want to talk about the relationship between Francis and, and his sister. Because like I said, um, it's very, very clear that you've invested a lot of emotional energy into these two characters. Um, I, I guess I was just sort of wondering, did you model that relationship off of, you know, someone in, in your own life? But whether it be a sibling, a parent, a grandparent, or was that just sort of something that came about organically as you kind of got to know these characters through your creative process?
1: I mean, it's kind of funny because when I'm writing it, I feel like it's organic. But then when I look back at it, I'm like, oh, I could see where I I got this from, you know, something in my life, because I think the main thing with Star and Francis's relationship in particular is that they're not related by blood. They don't have that biological connection. They're both adopted. So I definitely wanted to show that you can have those really powerful and strong relationships with someone, even if they're not biologically related to you, which I realized after I wrote it was probably very much How I'm very close to my stepdad, even though we're not biologically related, I consider him my whatever it means to be the real father. I consider him my real dad. So I I kind of think it was playing into that a bit, and I can kind of see how our relationship is, in a weird way, similar to the one between Star and Francis, because he's, you know, he's he's a witty guy and he can be very funny, and you know, he is very caring, and you know, I, I think Star has a lot of those qualities in particular. And then even with my mom, and then in that instance, who I am biologically related to, we have a very like close like friendship, that's like more more friends than parenting, really. But you know, it's a close relationship that I think I can also kind of see reflected in the relationship between Star and Francis.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely heard you speak in the past about kind of, you know, I think you refer to like, like your found family is as, as a is as a Kind of phrasing I've I've heard you use before and and I really like that and kind of you know discussions on you know is blood really thicker than water or, or kind of are the is the family we choose just as if not even more strong uh so again those are just all concepts that I find fascinating and I think really really do convey and come across well on uh on the page. Now one thing I wanted to ask is just based on and again, without revealing or, or spoiling too much, but just, you know, we've spoken about a little bit about Francis's character, how he is kind of walking that fine line between kind of, you know, heaven and hell, um, virtue and and sort of the damned. Do you view this book more about showcasing um, or highlighting the kind of inherent corruptibility of the human condition? Or do you see this book playing out more so in the vein of, absolute power corrupts absolutely
1: i love how you phrase that because i think in a lot of ways that's what the book is going to explore in the sense that will having the power of the devil be something that eventually corrupts francis or is he able to fight back based on you know how he grew up and has these uh, these important people of support in his life like star will he be able to kind of overcome absolute power, corrupting absolutely.
0: Okay. Okay. So I was trying to trick you a little bit there to see if I could get you to spoil, but you played your hand well. All right, bravo. I see what you did there. I see what you did. <laughs> um, one thing I also wanted to, uh, to mention here, and again, without spoiling too much, but one of the funnest things about this book I'm, undoubtedly is the fact that road trip to hell um it involves a, a myriad of of horrible historical figures, you know, trying to kill Francis on his sort of journey to, you know, the throne of the devil. And I guess I wanted to ask you, certainly some of the characters we've seen so far aren't surprising by by any stretch of the imagination. As we continue to go along, do you think that readers might be surprised by some of the people that you choose to show as being damned or as being occupants of health
1: i'm definitely hoping that there'll be some surprises and you're trying to trip me up because i'm trying not to spoil things i'm like ooh, i would like to say that but i can't because it's not until next arc so um uh i will say that i i definitely had a lot of fun researching a lot of people who could be in the series both surprises and not surprises mostly not surprises because I feel like if you get too many surprises it kind of takes away from that so I think most of them won't be too surprising but I was definitely doing a lot of research on like just kind of looking up the worst people in the world and uh, I had the benefit of since I started researching in college the library was like a walk away for me So, um, I do worry the librarians might've put me on a watch list because I feel like I was going there (laughs) getting books about Nazis and just horrible people. And then also getting stuff, uh, that's very religious with the Bible and things like that. So I don't know if they ever put me on a watch list, but it did worry (laughs) It did worry me a little "Mm,
0: bit
1: to go in and make some some pretty
0: fundamentalist readings that this person keeps on checking out.
1: (laughs) (sighs) But, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a very big cast of, uh, incoming characters so
0: (laughs) okay okay excellent well again i'm definitely excited to see sort of who pops up down the road now one thing i i wanted to do that i thought might be fun and again purely you know no no judgment we love all of these people on this list here but what i have is a list of polarizing celebrity figures and Uh i thought that it might be fun to go over with you, strictly in the vein of road trip to hell purposes, this isn't personal bias or, or meant to hurt anyone's feelings, but do you think that these people would be in hell or in heaven in your comic book? And if you don't <laughs> want to answer, you can feel free to say pass. I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire, but let's start things off with what I think is an easy one. Beyonce Knowles.
1: Wait, Beyonce Knowles. Is that her last name? Am I showing that I know nothing by not knowing her last name?
0: I mean, actually, I guess it might be Carter now if she took Jay-Z's last name. I'm honestly not sure, but I'm assuming she's still Beyonce Knowles. I wouldn't have changed it if I was her, but what do I know? I'm not Beyonce.
1: I mean, I feel like regardless of how I felt anyway, I'd have to say heaven or I'd get so many people coming after me.
0: (laughs) That's what I was thinking, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) What about Mark Zuckerberg?
1: I'm just thinking of the bits I've seen of the social network and I'm like, I probably shouldn't judge off that, (laughs) but knowing other things, uh, probably hell.
0: Probably hell. Okay. Mark, we might see you in road trip down the road there. What about, again, this one might be an easy one. What about Jake Paul?
1: Yeah. Wait, wait, which one is he? I know there's more than one.
0: He's Uh, the, he's the, the boxer, the one who, uh, who enjoys, yeah, he's a boxer.
1: Oh, God. Uh, hasn't he been trying to be better? I'm not actually sure with him. Has he, he been trying?
0: He has. I mean, he's been
1: trying, so that makes me hesitate. I kind of want to pass and see see where things go with him. I feel like he's on his own kind of journey there. So
0: Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Last one I'll make you do, and then I promise we can move on. What about yeah, I feel like Ed Sheeran?
1: Oh, Ed not Sheeran. at all.
0: Not at all. Ed Sheeran. <laughs>
1: Ed Sheeran seems nice, right? He does I, has seem there nice. Stories? Have there been any stories about him? I feel bad because I feel like every other person, I'm like, oh, they seem cool, and then a week goes by and I see a story about them, and it's Ahem. just that they're a terrible person, and I'm like, oh, this is sad. This is depressing. I'm gonna say heaven because I haven't <laughs> heard anything bad. But then after this call, I'll Google his name, and then then regret it. He's
0: gonna start trending on Twitter just because we were talking about him today.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I That's, I agree mm-hmm. with
0: you. I I think I think Ed is up playing his acoustic guitar at the uh, Pearly Gates, beckoning beckoning us all home. So uh, so yeah, we'll we'll move on for from there. And and like I said, you're a good sport for playing along. Um, I will say some people
1: might send him to hell just because of his Game of Thrones appearance. I have heard about that.
0: Well, yeah, you know, he kind of just popped everyone's balloon with that one. Like, yeah, the most popular guy is just in Westeros singing at the side of the road in the Lannister army. Why why wouldn't he be there?
1: I mean, it's better than having a Starbucks cup there. I mean.
0: (gasps) Yeah, yeah. And and a, what was it like an Aquafina water bottle too in in the last episode I think they just they got sloppy as it kind of came to a close. There's there's no other way to put it. Thank goodness for House of the Dragon is all I can say. But um but moving on here, Nicole, um I wanted to kind of dive in and kind of you know kind of learn a little bit more about you and kind of where you come from and in, in sort of your journey in this kind of creative process here. Um, Could you just kind of maybe kick things off and explain the influence that your grandmother and Sonic the Hedgehog have played in your comic book career?
1: I love that, you know. that. Uh, Yes. So I probably told this story before um, or you just know way too much about my personal life. Um, Yes. So I remember the first comic I ever read because it was basically my grandmother who would watch me would go get her scratch-off cards, lottery tickets, whatever she was doing that month to win big. Um, spoilers, she did not win big, unfortunately. Um, and uh, she she was glad I was such a good sport to go with her um, while she was watching me. So she would basically let me go to the spinny rack in the store that we were in and pick up a comic book if I wanted. And of course, the ones that I would gravitate towards were the Sonic the Hedgehog comics, Uh, I feel old now that I have to clarify. They were the Archie Sonic the Hedgehog comics, not the IDW ones that are now being published. But um, that was the first comic I ever read. And ironically enough, it wasn't what ended up getting me into comics. It was almost like it was a separate thing where that, you know, it became one of my favorite comics. And it's one that I still collect to this day. I'm still trying to find all of it uh, and hopefully not break, break break my bank doing it. But uh, (laughs) it was definitely sort of my first step into comics.
0: First kind of getting dipping the toes into the pond. Now, I I completely understand because if I'm not mistaken, it was actually John Byrne's Alpha Flight that kind of really pushed you over the edge. Am I am I right about that?
1: You are definitely right. Yes, because it was ironically, I got that book basically by accident because I used to take an art class when, for some reason, I thought I could do art, which I could not. not. Um, (laughs) And it was very cool, though, because our teacher was very into comics. And one of the things he would do is he would, I forget how we earned them, but we basically earned like fake money in the class by doing certain things. And he would do little auctions at the end of class and auction off comic books. And that's what we would get. Yeah, it was really it was really clever. And I remember I may have even not even picked Alpha Flight because I remember just randomly picking one because we got to pick whichever one was there. We won and I won and I took it and one kid was like, oh, it says that it's for mature audiences. And I was only like, I think I was like 10. Like I was very, (laughs) I had no idea. And he was like, you can't pick that one. So he made me put that one back. And then I randomly grabbed another one and it ended up being Alpha Flight. And the funniest thing is, I don't think I even read it for a few years because I wasn't super interested in that kind of comic sphere yet. And then I ended up going to a different convention for a whole different other reason, found more comics, was like, oh, these are kind of cool, and then went back to the ones I already had that were just sitting there unread. And I loved that. I, I loved it. The Alpha Flight one was the one that, you know, really got me started. And I was like, OK, now I need to really go out of my way to go to conventions and start buying comics. So that was definitely, you know, full blown collector mode turned on at that point.
0: Well, I think, like I said, being that I'm speaking you uh, to you, you know, about two hours south of Toronto today, the fact that it was... uh a random book about a ragtag collection of Canadian comic book heroes that, uh, that brought you into this wonderful world. I just think that that's fantastic. And I also know that it was that you were at a convention for a very specific reason, uh, because if I'm not mistaken, you had quite the crush on James Marsters growing up. Is that right?
1: Uh, a little bit. Little bit. A little yeah, bit, yeah. Uh, How could you uh, not, yeah. right? I
0: mean, Spike was something to behold in the in the early to mid nineties. And again, while we're on the topic here, is he the greatest TV vampire?
1: Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Not I, even close. Don't can even say need that. To think no, no about
1: hesitation. It. I can say that with no hesitation. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: love it. I love it. Um, now, one other thing that I've I've heard you mention that. I for one found both kind of incredibly interesting, but also just so weird at the same time. Can you please explain to me the beauty of a spreadsheet and what it is you find so intrinsically calming about them? Because I break out in hives whenever I have to like go near Excel or or Google Sheets. So what what am I missing at the end of the day?
1: Uh, To be fair, I I found few people who share my joy for spreadsheets
0: <laughs> okay okay
1: um i i you know i really love organization and okay. uh, it's it's very important for me to just as not just a writer but as an editor because i work on a lot of projects um it was kind of funny because i was doing another interview where they were like how many projects are you editing right now and i was like i do don't have an exact number, but it's over a dozen, and it's like, mm. but that's why I kind of need that Excel spreadsheet, um, because it's just a good way to basically write out my day. I mean, it's the equivalent of having a planner. It's my much more rundown-looking planner. That's just kind of your basic, basic way that I can fill out my day for each day, and you know, I'm kind of proud of it because I I used to not have as much to do. I started out with like sticky notes and they would just be, it would be one sticky note with a few things (laughs) written down and that would be my month's work. And it's like, okay. And then it expanded into the spreadsheet where it's like, okay, one row will be like what I do for, for a month. And then it was like, now we're down to, I have each row is each week and each square is what I'm doing that day. So I have written down all of my calls that I'm doing or anything like projects with deadlines, uh, and it's just—it's very relaxing to be able to say, "Okay, I know exactly what I'm doing today." And except then you start the day, and I look at my emails, and I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> we're adding in that, in that, in that," and then we're gonna be good. And <laughs> then it keeps going. <laughs> so.
0: Well, I'm gonna have to get you to send me your your templates and and <laughs> see if you can't help you know string my life together a little bit better than it already is because I swear I'm falling apart at the seams at the best of days.
1: I mean, that's most people post-2020, to be fair.
0: Yeah, I, su- I suppose that is true. I suppose that you are right about that. Um, now, one thing that I, I I mean, I can't not ask you this because, I mean, over your shoulder here, I can see that you've got your own little comic book store <laughs> in, in your office with a beautiful, you know, bat signal uh, just, you know, hanging proudly on the wall there. Um I know that you have said that probably this stage Batman is the book that you probably have more than anything else, um, or one of the ones that you have is is certainly up there in the collection. What would you say is is the most underrated or underappreciated Batman book? And conversely, what would you say is the most overrated book?
1: Mm. Now, when I when you say Batman book, I'm assuming you mean not Bat Family, but like Batman proper that has like the many many yeah. spin off different titles he's had like Shadow of the Bat and Legends of Shadow. the Dark Knight and all that.
0: Exactly. I mean, you can kind of see I'm not sure where I am here on my on my <laughs> shelf here. But yeah, I mean, I'm talking, you know, Dark Knight Returns year 1, uh Batman and Son, Master Race. I mean, is there one that you sort of gravitate toward? I mean, um as as like a favorite then you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I think that I've tried so hard to get into Grant Morrison since I was, uh, I don't, I don't know, able to read Batman. And I just can't. I try so hard. I, I probably ironically own more of his books than any other Batman writer. And I don't know why I do it. It's kind of just like, I can't not touch the stove because I'm just waiting for the light bulb to kind of come on in my head. So I would say for me, it's I I just can't get into Grant Morrison and I don't understand that. I just don't I just don't get it.
1: I I kind of feel similarly about um, Frank Miller, though I think people are a little more understanding with that one. But maybe that's just me. Um, I, you know, it's funny you said Grant Morrison, because my first thought was and I don't know if this counts as being underappreciated because I know they just announced like, they're going to do basically a movie, I think, based on it. But the Grant Morrison, Batman and Robin run mm-hmm. that he did, which really wasn't that long, if I remember right, or even that long ago. And I remember no. enjoying that. No. I like Grant Morrison's stuff. It's I can understand why someone wouldn't. I think he's kind of an acquired taste of a writer, mm-hmm. which I don't mean in a bad way. It's just... Uh-huh. I can understand uh, loving him or just not being able to get into his stuff. But uh, I've always found him interesting. So Batman and Robin was honestly the first one I thought of. Um, Okay. Though I was a little annoyed when I heard the announcement that, you know, they were going to do the brave and the bold, I guess it's going to be like based off of that or something like that is what James Gunn was saying, except that he, he used the wording of saying, Oh, it's, we're going to do Damian Wayne, his actual son. And I was like, could you say biological because actual implies that all the other Robins aren't actually his kids. And that triggers yeah. me slightly that you said that. And I feel like that's, pro- I could probably tie that back into road trip to hell. Cause it's again, that whole biological versus adopted thing. And I was like, that bothered me. I was like, Oh, I want to be excited for this announcement, but I wish you hadn't worded it like that. Cause enough people get annoyed at Damian Wayne because, you know, they think he gets special treatment as the biological son um and saying he's his actual son is not going to win you fans there and he's also a brat but i really uh, he's my favorite robin if i'm being honest but i can totally see why people don't like him and that doesn't help my argument
0: <laughs> no and and honestly i i really couldn't agree with you more i mean yeah whatever it might be a boring choice but i'm i'm a dick grayson person i just i just always <laughs> have been and it was the same sort of thing he's like his actual son i was like Dick is his actual son. Explain to me how he is not his actual son. That's actually so yeah. great about about their relationship. That's why Damien hates Dick so much because he's like, yeah, you are. Like I might be blood, but you're the firstborn son at the end of the day. And I think that that's. I thought the choice was interesting. I was speaking with a friend of mine, and he made the point of of kind of bringing up that. With the shakeup at DC, everyone's really talking about how it's going to affect the slate of movies moving forward. Not that many people are really talking about how these decisions might impact the comics that we start to read moving forward as well. So I really think that that is an interesting sort of way of looking at things. And I mean, I don't, I've been clamoring for a Robin movie for years, and I don't know if I want my Robin to be Damian Wayne, at least not right now. Someday, yes. But, but not now. And one thing I also just wanted to really uh, quickly ask you here, you know, we, we covered that you are not only a writer and creator, but also an editor as well. And does that editing approach, like when you, do you have a hard time switching off or switching between your editor's brain and your writer's brain when you kind of sit down to approach a book like Road Trip to Hell? I
1: mean... It's interesting because, you know, they always say you shouldn't edit your own work, which I I feel like that's true. And it's been good being with Scout because it it basically means I automatically got an editor through them, which was um, Andrea Molinari, who's awesome. He's a big reason why I do do any work for Scout. Like he's really, really great. He's kind of the one who basically networking wise, he's kind of the one who got me in the door there. And he does great work like with the issues he edited for me, it, it showed me that I wasn't picking up on things that sometimes I would pick up on if I were editing someone else's work. Because I think you kind of put on not exactly rose-colored glasses when I was reading my script. But there there were things I overlooked that I think I, I wouldn't normally if I were totally in editor mode. But when you have these characters that are your babies, sometimes you kind of get very attached to them and very attached sure. to specific ways that you lay out scenes or, or even dialogue that you have written. And there were, you know, he is very gracious and said that he did not have to make a lot of changes on the book. And I'd like to think he didn't have to make a lot of editing changes. But he also has like a, he has like double degrees. He like knows a lot about philosophy. And he had a great way of going about it that I never would have thought about from my own background. So he you know showed me that there's some ways I could be editing it further. So I think uh-huh. I, you know, went more into writer mode when I'm writing my own scripts. I do that on occasion with some other projects too. But yeah, they're they're definitely separate but I do try to bring in some of my editing know-how into when I'm writing. So,
0: like I said, I think you have a perspective that not many people get to hear from being that you are kind of not just involved in one aspect of the creative process, which I find to be very very interesting to kind of gain that you know like i said insider perspective um moving on here you have mentioned you know and obviously it comes through in the writing with the art but just in sort of the previous interviews that you've done uh it's very clear that you have a a love for for manga I've, i've read some of your articles uh about this topic itself now i am very uninitiated i would say i'm a studio ghibli guy and that's pretty much where my be-all and end-all is. So what separates good romance manga from, or anime, from bad romance anime? Oh,
1: God. Um, interesting question. Uh, and I'll I'll talk about it from an anime perspective, because I feel like I've honestly not read enough manga. I need to be, I, I need to develop my manga tastes more and read more manga, but I've definitely watched a lot of anime. I mean... Good and bad romance anime, there's definitely a line there where there's some guilty pleasure ones that I kind of enjoy, but uh, I feel like with romance, you definitely fall into a lot of tropiness. And, you know, I think if you celebrate tropes in any genre, that it, it can still be fun to explore them and not really be bound by a box and kind of explore tropes in a fun way. But if you, like, play up the cheesiness of it and like overindulge in fan service and stuff like that. I feel like going overboard like that or just making things too rigid where you can't break out of those stereotypes that you usually see. I feel like that's where you start to get into bad romance anime territory versus good.
0: Okay, okay. Well, where would you suggest I start? Like it's kind of day one in my education. What is what should I be kind of attacking head on?
1: I know it really depends on people's tastes. And again, even bad romance anime can be fun to watch. So I kind of have a question for you, which is that uh, what romance, anything have you seen that you liked that I could kind of gauge what kind of stuff you like and then recommend from there?
0: So are we talking like rom-com kind of stuff or
1: anything? What Like when you hear romance, what do you, what do you think of as like your favorite thing that you
0: when enjoyed I romance wise? That's a, that's a good question. First thing that comes to my mind is when Harry met Sally.
1: OK, OK, I have seen that. So that was a while ago. So I have to think um, i was going to
0: say showing my age a little bit there.
1: <laughs> I mean, again, that's that's rom-commy, right? So you're more interested in like how it can be kind of funny romance, not just straightforward romance. You kind of like it to have a second subgenre, maybe or
0: I'm definitely more of the Shakespearean comedy kind of romance guy, I think.
1: Okay. The, the
0: the dramatic irony I'm a I'm a big fan of.
1: Mm. I almost wish I could cheat and tell you to watch the Romeo X Juliet anime that exists.
0: Hey, which is why not? I
1: mean, there's flying horses in it, so it's fun. I think there's flying horses in that. It was very odd. Um, Sold. Yes. OK, that's one. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other. now I'm, I'm half tempted to go to my anime list and see what I've watched. That's really sad. Um, thinking of way too many things. Um, I mean, I wonder if you. There's also the appeal for some people when they watch romance anime, if they like a harem anime where you get like it's almost like you get multiple choice options. I don't okay. know if that's anything that would appeal to you, because that's like a whole a whole other can of worms of like anime you could watch because I have. OK. Uh, That's more. I think usually that's more guilty pleasure territory. But there, there's some ones that have good stories.
0: What about my love story? Where does that rank for you?
1: Oh my god! Are you kidding? That's that's number one for sure. That's that's very sweet. Like that's like if you want like comfort food, that's a comfort food anime for sure. That'll be my. I should have just said that. That'll be my number one recommended for anything. So yes.
0: OK, perfect. All right. Well, you know what? I am going to take your word for it and I am going to see if I can't get that queued up sometime this weekend. Now, Nicole, we've been talking for a while here. I have one question left and it might be the most important question that you answer for the rest of your life in all honesty, judging on the research that I've done thus far.
1: So no pressure. Can you please? What you're so no,
0: no pressure. Of course not. Can you please tell me in as much detail as you possibly can, what is the difference between Taylor ham and pork roll? Oh, my
1: God. I almost want to lie and say I'm a vegetarian just to just to be funny and end the conversation, but I'm not. So (laughs) (laughs) it's two different things that you can eat. Yes, that
0: two different things that you can eat. That's a great start.
1: Oh, we're still going? I was like, that's it. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) I've heard that this is... Is this a contentious subject in New Jersey, or am I just kind of playing myself with more stereotypes that are greatly exaggerated?
1: If it is, I stay out of the conflict because I have not really heard that one.
0: Okay. Well, I was going to say then clearly what my knowledge of New Jersey needs brushing up on. But on... A more kind of important note here um issue number one issue number two are out when will issue three so the conclusion of this art correct is going to be out when
1: that is a good question so with all of these and their release dates they've been a bit unclear just because i know we're Fingers crossed getting out of the whole paper shortage situation. And then Scout, unfortunately, also had Hurricane Ian, which definitely threw things off. At this point, I don't really know for sure when it'll be out. It's basically I just have to check previews world the week before because then it says what the new releases are going to be for the next week. The issue itself is already done and it could be out soon. I mean, so, uh, when I get my comp copies, that's usually a notification that's going to be like two weeks on, but I haven't got my comps for those yet. So I don't have a reliable date to give, unfortunately. But I'm hoping it'll be sooner rather than later because the book itself is done, it's out there, and it's still in previews world. People can order it in the meantime. If people pre order it, then they'll be able to get it regardless of when it comes out. They will get it eventually. So,
0: okay, perfect. So, again, everyone, make sure that you rush and do that. I know that I'm certainly going to be doing exactly that once we get off here, Nicole. (laughs) Now, also, for anyone who wants to find you, all of your social is pretty much from Instagram to Twitter is comic underscore Maven. And Instagram and Twitter are the ones that you're frequenting the most, if that is correct. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, pretty correct. I'd say Twitter is definitely my go to. And even if you just go to my website, which is it's comicmaven.com. That's kind of a hub where I keep all the socials and just regular updates and things like that.
0: All right. Well, Nicole D'Andrea, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. I'm so glad that we got to learn more about Road Trip to Hell. And I am, along with everyone else, just can't wait to see what's in store and what's around the corner.
1: Well, I'm really happy to hear that. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it a lot.
0: Yeah, we'll talk soon. Take care.
1: You too.